Listening to the Retail Perch with Shaker Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey guys, uh, welcome to another episode of the Retail Perch where we talk about all things retail and technology and trends. And Gary, we're getting to some serious retail stuff talking about saving money and produce and fruits in the last couple of episodes. And I think the last one was about screens. So it's great to see some of these technologies come to life. Yeah, we have uh, spread our discussions out across the supply chain. Exactly, exactly. And it's fascinating each time that we think about how many technologies have to go in to make retail happen. Yes. Uh, It's quite fascinating. Uh, So today we happen to have another amazing guest. Uh, this time from San Diego, but uh, I think they're really spread worldwide. Uh, but uh, Steve Stately, I want to invite you to the Retail Perch. Thank you for being a guest on the Retail Perch. So if you can take a few minutes, Steve, and tell us a little bit about your background, what you did in the past, how did you wind up at uh, your latest uh, venture, and what do you do? Wonderful. Well, first of all, thanks, uh, Shekhar and uh, Gary for inviting me to your podcast. I think these channels are really important. We're all in a constant state of learning. And so uh, you help us uh, do that. Um, So I, um, as you can tell from my accent, I I don't come from around here. I grew up in England, but uh, found my way via a whole bunch of technology companies to uh, San Diego, mainly because Qualcomm's here, the biggest manufacturer of uh, mobile semiconductor chips. And they get a small check every time anyone in the world buys a phone. So it, it's an amazing company to work for. And I, uh, I joined uh, their group that pioneered uh, the app store business, even, even before uh, Steve Jobs reinvented it. They were paying out billions of dollars to app developers for apps on feature phones. And that my involvement evolved into the retail space. Uh, we were always looking for new ways of getting wireless technology into the hands of people and everybody shops. And so I... Uh, came up with an idea and found a, a mentor who was kind of very senior businessman and we formed Qualcomm Retail and I learned a lot and we did some interesting work. We deployed the first Bluetooth beacon technology in a nationwide retail chain. It was actually in the Apple stores and uh, the, you know the function was very simple. It was just making sure that people got a welcome to the store and a switch to store mode in the in the Apple app by having this, what at the time was very new technology, which is Bluetooth beacon technology into all of their stores. And that was an incredible experience. A bunch of stuff happened. I left to start up my own uh, companies and wrote a book on Bluetooth beacon technology called Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beacon System. Uh, Actually the publisher made me call it beacon technologies, but I I like the first title. And um, one day I was doing a one day, training course at uh, the RFID Journal live show on Beacon Technology. And this Israeli guy came up to me at the end of it and said, hey, we're developing, we're planning to develop this Bluetooth Beacon Technology and it's passive. And I kind of looked at him and felt a little embarrassed because I'd written this book and given this training course. I had no idea what he was talking about. What on earth is a passive Bluetooth Beacon? But basically what he was talking about was something that looked like an RFID tag. It was a 
uh, a label, uh, but it could talk to Bluetooth devices, which are everywhere, you know, in our pockets, they have phones and infrastructure. Now we have electronic shelf labels. And of course, you know, what was my response to this amazing uh, invitation to consult? I said, mm, no, thanks. Because I thought he was crazy. I just didn't believe him. And long story long, uh, I ended up consulting for, for Tal Tamir. And this was a few weeks after they'd formed the company. They'd raised $10 million based on a business plan that you could have fitted on a cocktail napkin. Uh, but I just got to know them and thought these guys are geniuses. They'd already pioneered a technology called Millimeter Wave, sold their previous technology to a uh, pre previous company to Qualcomm. And so I thought, if they can do this, this is just going to change the world. And so I uh, started, I was their first employee outside of Israel and uh, helped on uh, writing business plans for fundraising and trying to find, you know, what we would do with this postage stamp computer-sized thing that they were considering developing. And it turned out they weren't crazy and it, it actually worked out great. Uh, we now have version two of this product and uh, those initial investors have seen the value of their investment grow and we're now uh, a company that's really well funded by folks like uh, Amazon and Alibaba on the e-commerce side, on the telco side, Verizon, NTT, SoftBank. Uh, we have Maersk on the logistics side, Merck on the pharmaceutical side, and PepsiCo and Avery Dennison, who are the largest makers mm. of smart labels. So it's been, uh, it's been a really amazing journey, and we're now shipping our uh, product and cloud services. And one of the key places where the technology is being used is in, in grocery stores. Wow. So that's my story. So, so you're saying that this is the size of a postage stamp, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a lot of people will be listening, but I'm holding up something which is a postage stamp size. And uh, it basically, it's a, it's a computer. Uh, there's a chip there, which Williot's at its heart, a semiconductor designer. So there was no chip that could do this on the market five years ago when the company was founded. Uh, and these guys designed a chip. It's uh, basically one by two millimeters big. Uh, and it is an ARM processor. It has RAM, ROM, flash memory. It talks. How is it being powered? Is it solar? Well, it's recycling energy. It, it captures radio waves, energy from radio waves, which is very, very light. You know, you don't get a lot of energy from radio waves, right. otherwise we'd fry. Yeah. But it, it's capturing the energy from other Bluetooth sources, from Wi-Fi, from LoRa, which is a technology that Amazon has now incorporated in there smart speakers and door locks, and even from electronic shelf labels and from legacy RFID infrastructure. So we're surrounded by radio energy, and um, we're just kind of riding that, that, that wave, literally, the waves of energy, and we use it to power a, a tiny computer, which costs... So how many milliampers is it? Is it taking? Well, up? we actually measure it in nanoamps, so it's wow, that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that. Uh, it's that wow. frugal. Yeah, the, the, if if you're a kind of a wireless geek like I am, then just capturing the energy is pretty challenging. Then once you've captured it, how do I run a computer on what is not very much energy? And then you know, how do I get it to communicate without all of the components that are normally in a computer? Normally, these things are on a printed circuit board. 
Um, and then how do I get it to encrypt and sense, which are all things that the technology does. And, you know, we've fitted this stuff onto things like this. What I'm holding now is a vial of COVID vaccine. It's got one of our labels on it. And that can not only give a unique identity, a serialized ID to the asset, but it can sense the temperature. Has it been kept at the right temperature to still be good? So whether it's COVID vaccine or strawberries, you want to keep these things at the, the right temperature. And uh, this actually measures fill level as well. So this can be the basis of auto replenishment. So I know, I know all of this sounds a bit kind of heady uh, way off into the high tech world, but the, what it means to retailers, especially grocery retailers, is, is a move to real time, real time inventory and real time supply chain and not just identity, but also the sensing. So if you effectively can connect everything in the store to the internet, it changes how you run the store, it changes how you run the supply chain, and it allows you to reduce a huge amount of waste, to have better quality produce, to act more efficiently. So it's a smaller number of staff delivering better service, and it enables, in some cases, a smaller format store because you've got a tighter control of the inventory. And on top of that, a whole bunch of new business models. You can kind of move into subscription services. If you're a product company, then we're working with companies that aren't just integrating this into vials of vaccine, but containers for herbs and spices. And it's kind of the, the Amazon dash button where it kind of a container knows when it's running it out and knows if this is expired it can cool. basically reorder so what kind itself. of sensors are you able to mount on yeah. it is it just temperature sensors at this point so temperature is kind of the core every Williot iot pixel which is what we call the tags can measure temperature and you know the, the one i was showing you earlier can measure from it can survive cryogenic freezing uh, so it's kind of really broad range of temperature it's pretty accurate for something that uh, Next year will cost less than 10 cents a tag, uh, but we can measure other things. So we, uh, it's, it's a little bit like a Tesla. You can upgrade the cloud software and unlock new sensing capabilities. So we've done a whole range of sensors from sensing chemistry. Uh, so uh, there's, there's uh, the potential to, to measure ripeness uh, um, based on all sorts of different chemicals that are excreted when product starts to get uh, older. Proximity. So we've done some work with a company that wanted to know uh, when customers were trying on their product. So you try on the product and then suddenly you can trigger a video that gives you information about the products that are being tried on. So full, empty, there's a whole range of things. But the basics are basically secure ID and temperature. Hmm. Wow. So, so every tag has a unique ID. Yes. Yeah. So, we were members of GS1. And so this, you know, there's another trend that we're riding, which is this move to serialization. So we were really um, delighted. We won the FDA's traceability challenge last year. And obviously there's more regulation about tracing food back to the farm so that you know, when someone gets sick from some bad spinach, we don't have to flush every spinach leaf in the country down, right. the, down the drain. So that is uh, part of what we enable. I'm oh. guessing you, you're probably speaking to Sweet Greens or somebody like that. <laughs> okay. 
And Steve, you said I think uh, next year the cost is going to come down to around ten cents. Yeah, less than ten cents uh, for the tag. So that's uh, and, and eventually we'll be similar to price to RFID tags, which are you know now down to one or two cents. We we started off with something very functional and flexible, and that's how we got to market fast compared yeah. to you know comparable technologies. You know the the big difference in cost is the cost of the infrastructure. You know RFID, which is a a sister technology. I mean, we are a radio frequency identifier. We, but the the infrastructure that we use is very often existing infrastructure. So the thing that's held RFID back, which in many cases does similar things, is that you can pay a couple of thousand dollars, thousand dollars for an RFID scanner. But in our case, we're even when you have to buy new infrastructure, you're talking about tens of dollars. So what I'm holding now in my hand fits in the palm of your hand and this costs about uh, $40 to buy a reader uh, for our tags but you know our, our ultimate goal is to be infrastructure free so that the other wireless devices in the store just automatically provide the energy and read our tags and we've done some recent work for a very large grocery retailer that's a national brand where we could harvest the energy from the electronic shelf labels that they're rolling out and so that gives you very precise location um, and a way of monitoring with the existing infrastructure which products are, are where got it so 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 the proximity within which you can read these tags is what it, it varies but uh, you know 10 meters uh is oh, wow. is okay. kind of one of the one of the metrics so you know, the key breakthrough is when the infrastructure gets very low cost you can go from having a a snapshot of maybe what's come through the the loading dock to having this real-time view of where everything is all of the time. And, and when you can do that, then you can start to spot things like cases of temperature-sensitive product that have gone from a cooler in the back and they're on their way to a cooler in the front, but maybe they got left outside of any of the coolers. And you know, whereas the past paradigm, maybe if you were lucky at the end of the day or the month, you got a report that showed that the, there are these anomalies, our mode is real time. So that means sending real time alerts to the store manager uh, or the uh, distribution center manager or the farmer, because we go from farm to store about something that's happened. So it can be corrected immediately. Uh, another example of that real time intervention, when you can have you can measure the asset or the item all the time. You can look at the, the, the flow of the product. And you know, very often when produce is being harvested, it's a rush, right? And so you have the, the packing shed or the, the, the cooling refrigerated storage space on the farm. A lot of stuff can be pushed to the back and your FIFO actually ends up degrading and turns into a LIFO, last in, first out. And that's you know a problem, and sometimes that produce can get stuck on the way for an extra day or two. And so what we found, we actually went public with our first farm to store case study with Israel's largest retailer, a company called Shufacell, and it got featured in the Wall Street Journal. It was the lead story in their uh, logistics section. And one of the things that we found there is we could save a couple of days. Uh, we could put another couple of days 
of shelf life. We could cut a couple of days off of the, the journey from farm to store by looking at these anomalies, looking for the FIFO that's turned into a LIFO. We're allowing Schufa cell to do true FIFO throughout the steps right. up to the store. And now at the store, what they're doing is something that I think you know, we were talking offline about, which is you know, the, the ripest first. Yeah. So you look at the temperature history over time because you're constantly measuring. In this case, you don't put a tag on every head of lettuce. You put it on the, the crate of peppers right. or strawberries. And you can look at the accumulation of heat over time. And then you can order what goes out first based on, on, on what is ripest. And you know if you can do that, then the savings are on multiple fronts in multiple dimensions. It's uh, less waste. So better for the environment, you less write-offs, better yeah, quality yeah. product, longer life. It looks better on the shelf and it lasts longer in the consumer's home. And I don't know about you, but I, I have an ongoing frustration with finding good tasting <laughs> produce. And I will switch to I almost agree. any store where I think I can find better strawberries because I'm just absolutely. so fed up with getting them home and they're rotten. Oh, yeah. well, they don't taste good. They they taste like water, you know. Right. So I, I think in fact that was one of the things that came up, Steve, in that episode that yeah. we talked about a couple of weeks ago was about people getting produce home and even people switching between stores because the quality of produce is better in one store over the other. Absolutely. And I guess uh, it makes a total sense for the retailer to be on top of this. But I'm, yeah. you know, I'm typically I've got to say you you've done a first here. We don't have many times that Gary and I stay speechless listening to our guests for this long, <laughs> but but I think I think the I'm hugging the mic, the, the, the story <laughs> that you say and the capability that you're talking about is pretty fantastic. I mean, I'm looking at the form factor, and this is literally the size of a postage stamp. It's about one by yeah. one centimeter by two centimeters, an inch by two yeah. inches, and yeah, yeah. flat, and it's amazing. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Do you, Steve, do you foresee a day? as the cost of those sensors continues mm-hmm. to drop where they you know go to the package level instead of the case level and once you get to the package level is there then a consumer facing application here where i as the yeah. shopper can you know have that package of strawberries i just picked up at the store and understand its history in terms of temperature or if i've got several packages in my refrigerator which one I should maybe consume first. No, you're exactly right, Gary. That's exactly where we're headed. And and we've actually had a a preview into that courtesy of the Japanese government. Uh, um, They have this entity, I think it's the Ministry for Economy, Trade and Industry, METI, uh, who's been doing a lot of pioneering work on the RFID side. They they actually pioneered a, a trial in Tokyo with one of our partners in Japan. We, we work with Sato, we work with Entity Docomo over there. So Sato, who make a lot of these RFID printers, and they're a solution provider. They worked with a set of families in Tokyo where these tags were put on individual bags of lettuce and other produce. And um, they put these readers in the fridges of in these households. That's exactly what uh, I was and, yeah. yeah, and they measured how long the produce was in the fridge and they would actually prompt, not just with reminders, but with recipes on how you could use up these things uh, before yeah. they went off. And, you know, I, we've already had discussions with the companies that make those plastic containers that uh, we all know and love. 
uh, that you use to put leftovers in and that sort of thing. And so you can imagine the tags on those. And actually one of our customers makes appliances. They make washing machines and they make refrigerators. And in the past, you know, the RFID industry has done a lot of pioneering in this space and they were talking with the same companies and they had all sorts of visions of how these IDs and sensors could link in with the appliances, but it never happened because it's so hard to convince these appliance vendors to add another component in there. You know, they look at every penny, but Wi-Fi and Bluetooth are already in most of the new fridges and washing machines that are out there. And it's really just a matter of routing an antenna into the right place. And then you won't even need to put one of these little pucks in there to do that reading. And they will do it because they're interested in another business model, which is measuring the filters that you often forget to replace, or maybe you put one that's not kosher in there. And so I think I'm very optimistic about that happening. It's not going to happen overnight. And so we're very focused on farm to store, but this play that you alluded to Gary, you know, it's going to happen that consumer play. And we already have smart speakers that with a software upgrade, could uh, read these tags and it'll extend beyond the kitchen to to the bedroom into you can imagine a clothing you know how many people have a full closet full of clothing that they only wear like very occasionally sometimes maybe you go a whole year and half your wardrobe's been untouched right so how about moving to not this isn't for everyone I, I recognize but uh, think about a Netflix mode where you're kind of rent the runway type model of, oh, I'm not wearing this. I'm going to give it back. Someone else can wear it. Maybe I get some value back and I can get new clothing that I like better, that maybe fits me better. That's for those of us that care yeah, about it's the whole resource sharing fashion. model, right? So exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. No, that's fascinating. I was just thinking, Gary, about what you're talking about. If you could get these small enough on produce and food that's sitting in your refrigerator, I have a reader and I have an app and it just tells me, hey, you got four tomatoes that are going bad. And in fact, uh, I I remember, uh, I think maybe about a year ago, we had somebody on the retail perch talking about an app that they put out called Empty Your Fridge. And what they did is connected an AI with a bunch of chefs and it would, uh, you could put the ingredients and would come up with a recipe based on your specific taste buds. So if you said, I prefer Italian to Thai to Chinese, it would say, okay, based on this, this is what you can make with Chinese and this is what you can do with Italian. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a connected world. It's, it's, it's amazing what you can do. And, and those sensors go far beyond simply, you know, farm to table in the sense of, you know, uh, greens, vegetables, fruits, et cetera. And there's applications in seafood, there's applications across any fresh product, right? Protein or otherwise. Absolutely. Uh, all of those things. And even, um, you know, as you manage the livestock, you, you can use it for, you know, we've already been asked to put these tags on chickens. So uh, <laughs> internet connected everything. It, yeah. It's really, I mean, at, at one level, it's, you know, think of the impact the, the internet has made. It's changed everything. But Essentially, it's an entirely digital medium. We're just starting to connect the first few things. And it kind of feels like we're connecting a lot. You know, our cars are connected. Maybe our appliances are starting to get connected. The smart speakers are. But if you added up all the things that are connected now in the world, it's, it's probably, you know, a few tens of billions of things, which seems like a lot. 
But the future that we see is something we call massive IoT, the massive Internet of Things, where we go from billions to trillions. And, and you get there pretty quickly if you look at all of the, the clothing, the food containers, the medicine, and there is so much inefficiency. I, I, I'm a tree hugger, and I gave up long ago trying to convince companies to do something that's against their interests. But I think we have a real opportunity to align people, profit, and planet just by making things more efficient. We don't need to ask people to do unnatural things. If yeah. we take the 40% of food that we throw away, which accounts for 10% of the carbon emissions, and we reduce that, you know, that, that would be an amazing thing to fight climate change. Then you look at all the medicine that we you know, get prescribed and don't take because we're not tracking it. Uh, and uh, one of our investors makes pharmaceuticals. We are working with many other pharmaceutical companies. And all this stuff takes a while. But you know, imagine all of your medicine being connected. And how often do people go to their doctor and say, oh, this isn't working, especially kids. It's like, it's not working. Are you taking it? Yeah, of course I'm taking it. Well, are they really? Um, so this uh, medical adherence, uh, whether it's putting these tags on knee braces, you know, have you been doing your exercises? You know, really? Have you really been doing your physio? There's so much that we can do if we connect, if we take the power of the internet and apply it to the 95% of things that are not, not connected, then there's huge opportunities in terms of convenience, uh, quality, safety, reducing waste. And, uh, you know, the internet's only just started because most of most things are not connected. But very soon, you know, we believe yeah. they will be. I mean, I, I look at my mesh network at home and I'm, I see 68 devices connected, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot because I, I have temperature sensors, I have cameras, I have switches, I have my thermostat, my smart speakers, my, you know, all the other devices. Everybody's got at least three devices. They have a, a laptop and uh, uh, an iPad and a, and a phone uh, plus a watch. So it's, it's just, I can imagine, you know, you're going to pretty soon have a home with hundreds of devices in them which does everything from measuring the moisture in your indoor plants to automatically watering them. And uh, yeah, yeah. So how do you protect privacy when there's so much data flowing out of these devices? It's really important. And it's probably, you know, we looked at the future of the company. It's like, what could possibly go wrong? Because there's so many benefits. I mean, no one needs to lose their driving license, their passport, uh, their keys ever again. <laughs> But what could possibly go wrong? Well, people could get freaked out by, uh, by this. So uh, one of the decisions that we made was to put encryption uh, onto the silicon of this chip, which is, uh, again, different to RFID. RFID essentially broadcasts everything in the clear. It doesn't matter too much because not many of us have a $1,000 RFID right. reader, but we all have a phone. So uh, this was kind of something we had to look at right from the beginning. And so... When you start encrypting the data, interesting things happen. You suddenly get accountability and ownership. When that tag is broadcasting something that is encrypted, then only the owner has access to it. And so suddenly you have someone that is responsible for GDPR, uh, the, you know, the privacy regulations that are now pervasive in Europe and are now starting to arrive on our shores, especially in places like California. So when you, when you have encryption, you, you have the ability to turn access on or off. 
uh, you have the ability to transfer ownership. And so ultimately, you know, we should own the data that we own on the products that we buy. Um, so um, that's the, the future we see is that uh, people, there's accountability for the data. Um, it's not like a QR code that can be read by anyone. And uh, people have the ability to opt out. Not everyone's gonna wanna do this. Um, and actually beyond opt out, it has to be an opt-in. Uh, so that's the law in most of the world. There aren't good ways of enforcing it in all other places, but you know that can be done. So we take privacy seriously. It's, it's part of our business model. We actually decided that we would uh, build the company around the cloud services. We'd actually license the, the chips for free to anyone that wanted to make the tags. So we now have all of the big smart label manufacturers, uh, Avery Dennison, Identiv, uh, uh, Shriner. There's a whole bunch of people that make NFC, RFID tags, QR code tags that uh, now can make a Williot IoT pixel. And uh, if they buy the chip directly from the fab, they don't have to pay us anything. So you can put this technology everywhere and then you can decide to turn it on if you want to use it. And that's the approach that we are taking to try and bring down the, the cost of uh, entry. So first things first, we think that plastic crepes, even though they're not, not the most glamorous thing, you know, before we get to the let bags of lettuce and the clothing, let's just make our supply chain more efficient. And more and more people are using these reusable plastic crepes. So you can turn it into a smart crate in a few seconds by putting a couple of our tags on. And then suddenly you can manage your fleet of crates and maybe you don't need 5 million crates. You can just have 4 million crates if you know where they are in real time. And then when they start to get lost or stolen, as sometimes is the case, then you can put a stop to that really fast. And then once you've done that, then let's look at what's in the crate and start to look at extending shelf life. So, so if, if there's a retailer listening to this podcast, uh, what is the application that they typically have seen? Uh, you know, what's the most popular things that you get to do with this that can impact their operation? Well, you know, we, we uh, I think that, and now some of the cardboard boxes, some of the, uh, if you start delivering stuff directly to consumer, then that shrink of the, the pool of reusable transport items really gets big. We have a, a customer that's delivering ice cream to their customers and they deliver it in this beautiful thermal pouch. And you can imagine those go walkies very fast uh, because they're, you know, they're real utility. So that, that's really what's driving a lot of the use cases. There's, there's a thousand, a million things you could do with these. And so last year, uh, it used to be our, our model was, we'll work with only the largest companies in the world. You have to pay us tens, uh, $100,000 before we can spend time with you because we're limited in size. But I'm really pleased we switched from that model uh, last year and we now have starter kits. So 500 bucks, you can go to williot.com. Uh, buy the technology, play with it. So anyone that's got an innovation team can start to experiment. And we're probably going to be coming up with kits that are even lower cost, just a few tens of dollars. If I have my way, we'll have a $30 kit by the end of the year so that anyone, whether it's a school kid, can experiment. And we're starting to 
experiment with new ways of integrating the tags with applications. So drag and drop interfaces with pre-built connectors to things like SAP. And we're actually incubating an idea that allows you to use basic website building tools to interface with our tags with something called trusted physical web. And that will allow you know, anyone that has access to someone who can write a web page to start to link in our technology and you'll have our tags triggering menus for people that are waiting at the, uh, uh, the, the, the delicatessen uh, uh, or um, giving menu items to people that are waiting to be served in a, in a stadium or if someone's at a zoo and they want to understand more about the animal, our tags will broadcast a URL to a browser on the phone. And then I think that will like, at the moment, it, you have to develop an app to use our product. But once we get to trusted physical web, then basically any adolescent who can create a website right. will be able to tap into this. Well, right. yeah, there's no end to where, where that technology goes. Yeah, and I think what's the most fascinating is the low power nature, right? Which is which was typically a blocker. Initially, when beacons came out, they'd last for two months and three months. And then, of course, yes. now you have more longer lasting beacons. But this is fascinating. This is almost as good as a, like you said, a posted stamp. Just stick it on it and forget it. And yeah. I mean, yeah. it must have taken. So where did the technology to harvest this ambient energy? Where does that, uh, where does that come from? Well, uh, really, the brains of our founders, they, they developed millimeter wave, which is the thing that makes uh, 5G faster than 4G. So they, um, I mean, I'm, I, I just marvel at the innovation. There's a ton of patents they produced around this uh, uh, technology. And we, you know, tried a bunch of things in the early days, and some of them didn't work, and some did work. But they've got this kind of Israeli approach to innovation where they're kind of fearless, and they work at an incredibly rapid pace so normally when you're developing a chip it takes a year or two i remember the first test chips they did six in one year so rather than two wow. years two months and they would actually put out a design and then do the next one and then do the next one and then they were doing this in parallel and again it was this idea of let's develop something that's really functional it, it, it'll be postage stamp size but rather than going straight to the bare bones we'll make it a fully programmable computer. And they started off with that. Uh, and then you know, the, the approach to running a computer on very little energy, they, they use a technique called wave computing, which is rather than running this ARM processor with big programs, what we do is break the, the program down into small bite-sized chunks. So a wave of energy comes in, and we do the first bit and then another wave of energy comes in and we do the next bit. Mm. And each time it does some processing, it saves the results in some special memory that uh, doesn't that basically retains the, the, the values. And so there's just a ton of really interesting techniques like that. And then they stripped out components. And normally radios have crystals. You think back to the crystal set that maybe you or your parents had to listen to the radio. Uh, as well as a battery-free radio, it's a crystal-free radio, and crystals are used, they're like the tuning knob on a radio to get the right frequency. And the chip actually looks around for other radio signals, and it says, oh, that looks like a Bluetooth signal. Let's use the timing that that signal used to calibrate our radio. So 
it's it's not just let's take a off the shelf radio and and right. run a bit less energy through it's a complete redesign with this paradigm of we want to connect a trillion things to the internet and we want to democratize the internet of things and make it go beyond the internet of expensive things which is really what it is at the moment cars yeah. and appliances and gas meters to the internet of everything uh, of everyday correct. things that's fascinating no it's fascinating and it's just a uh staggering the amount of data this also produces that has to be then processed and uh you know well, this is where know. ai comes in very handy because right. uh so there's a lot of opportunities uh, uh to do that and the software it's not just running on the tag it runs on the edge it runs on the wi-fi access points and the other things that are reading it so it's and the cloud so you know, I, I look at the way the engineers solved this. They looked at it very holistically. They started off with this goal, let's democratize IoT. And then what do we need to do? Rather than kind of looking at it at a component level, uh, and that's how I think they managed to come up with so many uh, so many breakthroughs. And, I, you know, it's a privilege to work here. I'm a, a podcaster and a writer, and I feel like I'm just documenting a little bit of high-tech history, uh, seeing the way this thing's rolling out. Hmm. Yeah, wow. yeah I, I could geek out on this all day. <laughs> so, so I have, I have a, I have a background in digital signal processing, and that's ah. kind of what I did in uh, college in my early years uh, working. So, this is something I understand and quite enjoy. But it's amazing some of the breakthroughs. That, and you know, I think what's fascinating here is the application to retail and how it can actually change everyday consumers. Absolutely, lives. I think that's yeah. where it gets really, really exciting. And it's funny, it's a, it's a double-edged sword because I look at, I go into any retail environment, I always look for problems, I'm fascinated by shopping, this thing that we all do. Um, and we all, we're all retail experts at some level, we, we know what frustrates us. And I'm like, oh, if only you had this technology in your store. Like I was in, um, I was in an outdoor goods store the other day and we went to, my wife's going on this hiking trip she's just retired she's going to be going off to uh, uh, the dolomites and so we're like buying sleeping bags and hiking boots and we went to buy the sleeping bag and it was an amazing experience it was like the the the, the concierge experience we had a great advisor try these different things this is what i use when i go hiking where are you going so it was like the model retail experience. We spent a lot of money on that sleeping bag and it was, we were delighted. Same store, we go to buy the, the, the boots and it's like a battlefield in the shoe department. There's like two people that are working there. They're running from pillar to post full of people that are frowning and angry because they've been waiting for 20 minutes to get served. And and it's because they have no idea where everything is. You know, they, they don't know what's in stock. And they're basically doing the job of a robot, which is running backwards and forwards and shooting things, trying to find things. So, you know, if these, if they had really got tags on the inventory, then they right. know where everything is. And they could say, oh, yeah, uh, you like that style. You know, maybe we can ship the things we don't have to stop to your home. And, you know, same retailer, same culture of serving the customer. But, you know, when you have your staff overloaded, then, you know, everyone's miserable and it doesn't have to be that way. And the essence of it is just know where everything is and when things get lost, find out about it in real time. And uh, so I'm very hopeful that shopping will be more fun. Uh, and I'm a big believer in brick and mortar 
retail. I think it's important to our communities. And I really hope that uh, this technology will help. And, I, and, and we see it is. Uh, we've got retailers that see this as a path to keeping the doors open by having leaner supply chains, you know, more of a showroom type uh, retail storefront where you can have just the right number of everything in the front of the store, smaller staff contingent that are doing selling and relationship building rather than right. finding. Yeah. yeah, no, and I think, you know, for people who are listening to this episode, I think it's an opportunity. I mean, it could spark all kinds of ideas for business because I think Ultimately, retailers are so busy running operations, especially the middle tier. They don't have yeah. the time to really take something like this and make an application out of it. Right. So, which means it spawns a whole set of people who can actually take this and say, okay, what can I do to service this industry and create these applications? And I'm glad you said that because it, it's very important. You know, we, I think Williot's a wonderful company, but we can't do everything. We're not trying to do right. everything. It's a platform company. They think it's more like an app store or an operating system. Right. But we need applications and there's, you know, every retail segment needs different applications. You know, the way you run a shoe store is different to uh, right. a convenience store, different to a grocery store. And so, you know, the, there's huge opportunities for everyone from um, systems integrators, software developers, device manufacturers, uh, uh, people that do technology deployment. And so anyone that's kind of got involved in RFID is a great example. If you've done that, then you already know, you know two thirds of what you need to know to deploy this technology. And right. so we, we really encourage people to experiment, play, and uh, so Steve, let your if imagination I'm not mis- go on. mistaken, you can go on the Williot site and then order a dev kit, I guess. Um, yeah. You can buy exactly for, right. And then go and yeah. experiment away and plug away and try to come up with interesting applications. Yeah, that's, that's, exactly that's right. super exciting. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, hopefully there's some smart people listening to this podcast and will come up with uh, some cool ideas of what they can do. But this has been a great conversation, Gary, as usual, yeah, time flies by. So when we get into the retail perch episode, we get into a kind of like a accelerated time tunnel. It seems like we start and we're at the end before we know it. <laughs> um, but I haven't gotten some feedback from some people that they actually quite enjoy some of these geek rants that we get on to with uh it's been uh, very informative steven i'm certainly very excited i'm gonna go check out uh williot and see if i can order myself a kit here so wonderful yeah? so it's been great to talk with you guys and thank you for the work that you're doing helping get the word out oh yeah no no it's been this is this is this is like fun for us so gary any any thoughts before no, we close uh, out fascinating discussion steve this is uh, uh you know an area i've been watching for a long time uh, you know, seen development of sensors, temperature sensors, and so on, applied to fresh food monitoring. You know, what really excites me is the opportunity to take this to the ultimate consumer, the ultimate shopper, right? So they've yeah. got knowledge of, of all the food, all the products, and uh, sort of their history. So exciting stuff. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, Steve, if you don't uh, I saw you hold up a William coffee mug, but uh, if you do ah, send your, if you send us your address to Stephanie specifically, she will send you a retail perch coffee mug, uh, and that'll that you can get in the mail, which uh, you know can be one of those trophies that you 
proudly display that that's that's right. we tell. And the next time we'll definitely can use that. That's right. You know, and you know, we can put a little Willia IoT sensor on it, which will tell you if the coffee is still hot on your <laughs> you you laughed, but we actually did that at RFID Journal Live. We ran a class, everyone got a coffee cup with uh, we actually had three tags on each of them uh, to measure how full it was, how hot the coffee was, and we had a little display that showed it. So you oh, were nice. making a joke, but actually you were predicting or you 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 had a uh, omniscient view of what was being done with our uh, technology. And I love the <laughs> mug idea. I, I do a podcast called Mr. Beacon where it's, it's, it's truly a, a geek uh, thing. We focus on IoT, Bluetooth beacons and tags. And I've been saying we need to give people a mug as a thank you. And so you've inspired me. We're going to do it. And, and, you know, we'll, of course, read it on our back end to see how many cups of coffee you're having a day. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been fantastic speaking to you. And guys, I just want to uh, shout out to all the people who listen uh, and support us. Appreciate it. Your enthusiasm keeps us going. And we promise to keep getting you exciting guests and great talks like this with Steve. And uh, thank you again, Steve. Gary, anything before we sign off? No, that's great. Steve, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been Bye, a pleasure. Bye. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.